Yeah, you know, I don't think it's such a, I don't think it's such a bad time for fashion right now. You know, I don't really think much about fashion. I notice it because fashion tells you a lot about just the overall aesthetics of the place you live in, of the world, and you encounter that every fucking day. So you can't help but notice fashion, and it makes you feel something, which is crazy. Fashion makes people feel something, and it's probably like one of the the gayest things I'll ever say. <laughs> uh, but it, it's true. It's like even if you're not interested in it, like obviously, like I have a certain fashion sense, but I've always just kept it very simple. I have things I like and I don't like. But as far as the actual fashion itself, it stays very consistent and very simple. And I don't take an interest in other people's fashion either. Like, I notice it. But I'm very... Um, and I think it's okay for people to dress how they want for the most part. Um, but I prefer something simple, too, in other people. Like, I'd, I'd rather see people dress simply... Um, and I think right now, like, I guess what I was just thinking is like right now, lately, I, I haven't really noticed a lot of stuff I hate as far as what people wear. For a while there, I just couldn't go out. I couldn't stand it. I would say the entire 2010s, I just couldn't stand the sight of people, what they were wearing and, and all that. And I guess... It, I don't know, probably me saying this will probably make me pay more attention. And then I'll just see all this shit I hate. But I, I don't know, I haven't seen as much of like the streetwear stuff either. Some of the like late stage hipster sort of fashion, like the indie rock fashion that became mainstream, like that kind of stuff. I haven't really seen as much of that. Like the skin tight pants. I don't feel like I'm seeing a lot of that. I mean, I guess, you know, what the fuck am I even talking about? Because this is also the era of just like monstrous. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I, I was just, I was being too positive for a second. I was being totally blind because, I mean, this is also the era of the most ghastly, horrific fashion you'll ever fucking see. I guess I was just thinking of normal people. I was thinking of like the average American. It's not such a bad time fashion-wise for just like the average American. It seems pretty neutral. Like I don't I can't even think of what it is right now. And that's a good thing. Like that's that to me is like perfect fashion is when like yeah, I kind of know what people wear, but I can't even think about it right now. I can't even really remember it. I think that's ideal. But for a while there, like, it's not that, like, normal, like, I always like the normal fashion of a time. Because it's, like, the stuff that I, that was just abominable to me some years ago, a few years ago, was, that was mainstream and normal, too. But I think, at least on, like, the mainstream level, I feel like we're entering kind of a decent, decently neutral forgettable which is a good thing forgettable fashion era like a fashion era where like you never see some sort of retro throwback that's fucking cool
you know like if if later generations don't want to or can't replicate the the total totally neutral like non-entity fashion of of your era it's a great thing you don't want your era of fashion to be something that like later generations can caricature just make it utterly forgettable but for a few years yeah i really wasn't happy like 2010s i just nobody was wearing the right stuff you know it was just just unsightly every time you'd go out um, but now, like, yeah, the normal people, I don't think it's so bad. But then the other side is, like, what we're seeing, you know, the dyed hair is kind of passe to even mention now. Nothing wrong with dyeing your hair, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. Like, the radical progressive uniform. Um, there's a lot of unsightliness to say the least on that side of things and that's become mainstream like i'll see like i'll see grandmas maybe it's because i live in olympia but i'll see grandmas who look like that now young grandmas young grandmas i'll see them and they have like the sides of their head shaved and it's like dyed blue and they have some stupid tattoo and i'm like you're 60 years old you're a young grandma a young granny looking like that kind of the the other side of the coin from like the Tupac grandmas I've mentioned on here before however once in a while you'll see a, a grandma who's you know trashy and like smoking white woman and she'll be wearing one of those like baggy gas station Tupac shirts she'll it's just it's like I don't even know if she knows probably does listen to Tupac but kind of like how you'll see that once in a while the the grandma who dresses like a young radical progressive is kind of another version of that to me except I, the difference is I love the Tupac grandma it's kind of the same thing but I, I'll choose the Tupac grandma any day What's he talking about? The Tupac Grandma? Oh, he's talking about the Tupac Grandma again. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I spoke too soon when I said like, now's a great time for fashion. I'm being positive for once. Oh, I like the way people look. And then my mind goes to like all that other shit that I hate. That's kind of what being positive is though. I mean, honestly, that is positive. Like what positivity is. It's like, it's like, oh, I'm just going to focus on this because one good thing for a little bit. Because the reality is there's like all this awful shit all around that good thing. And in order to be positive at all, I just have to like block that out for a minute and just focus on this good thing. And that's a good thing to do. It's good to know how to do that. So yeah, I'm sticking with great time for fashion. Fashion is how it... Fashion it makes you feel something. It's a great time for fashion. But case in point, like I, when I see that uniform, and there's even like more subtle variations of it. There, there's a lot of variations of it. Like, you know, I don't know. Like I've talked about before. It's like I, I, you know, from physiognomy, 
as well as fashion, like I can tell who a liberal is just at the grocery store. Like there was a while in the 2010s when like young alternative conservatives were dressing kind of the same way as, you know, urban liberal hipsters. Like there was that kind of like, I'm going to wear a bow tie. I'm going to wear like uh, flood pants or whatever the fuck they're called. Like those pants where like the, the bottom is really high and you can see all the socks. All the socks. What do they call those? There's a name for those. It's not flood pants, I don't think. They were wearing flood pants. High waters. I think they call those high waters. That makes sense. Flood pants. I like flood pants more. High waters. They're wearing those high waters. So you mean flood pants? You talk about flood pants. But yeah, there was a while where like even like young alt right-wing dudes were dressing that way. Like, I'm going to wear a bow tie, um, black frame glasses, and high water pants. Like, they just looked like a 90s indie rocker. But I feel like right now, you're not seeing that as much. And, like, it just, you can just recognize a full-on lib. Just, you can just go into the supermarket. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I can tell. I can just tell. Like, if not from the physiognomy and the vibe from the fashion for sure. Like I saw this couple, they were both girls, but I mean, they, they were doing something. They're doing, they're doing something that these people do now. Um, and they were both in like overalls, like matching overalls, but like one, one was wearing like an olive colored overall and the other one was wearing like a, a deep scarlet red pair of overalls. And they both had like really short hair and like a, like one of them was wearing like a newsboy cap. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I bet they voted for Trump. Oh, there's two, there's two, Batty, come on, Batty. It's like, oh yeah, I bet they voted for Trump's film. It's like, no, you can tell from that uniform, like <laughs> you can pretty much assume. And I, and I mean this in like a, you know, not like I go around thinking this way, but it's like if you if you really like focused on who that person is, like you would probably be able to guess most of their stances and beliefs on just about anything. Like you would probably be able to safely assume like how they feel about Israel and Gaza, how they feel about abortion, how they feel about guns, how they feel about this politician, that politician, this policy, this this social rule this movie this sport this 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 or that this person this celebrity like you'd probably be able to go down the list and accurately predict like most of their stances on a lot of things just from that glance and i and i don't want to do that you know i don't want to do that i don't go out and try to do that but it, if it came down to it you could probably do that there's obviously you know people on the right wing too who you could do that with um, but it it has to be much more obvious when it's someone on the right wing like it has to be a guy with like yeah if a guy's wearing one of those hats that has like the thin blue line on it 
Yeah, you know that you take a pretty good guess at what that guy thinks about all those same issues, and you'd probably be able to guess it accurately. Um, but it usually does take some sort of explicit symbol. You know, it usually does, like, you usually do need something like like an explicit statement on them somewhere. Whereas I, that's not so true with, with liberals. It's like with liberals, I feel like there's something very subtle and you can just kind of detect if that's their stance on, on things. And it's not always the fashion either. Like you just get a vibe. Whereas there's like a lot of people who are like completely average looking, like just average fashion, like all kinds of appearances, but still like they're just normal looking. And you really can't guess. Like living in this area, like there's a lot of really normal, like even though Olympia is what it is, there's a lot of just really normal looking people who live in Olympia. A lot of really normal people who live in Olympia. There are though, there's a lot of, you know, normal people, of course. And you wouldn't be able to just guess what they think. Like from their physical appearance, their, their physiognomy, the, and their fashion, and their demeanor, you really wouldn't know if that person voted for Biden, vote, you know, is a Bernie Sanders fan, if they like Trumpsfeld secretly, because here it's always going to be secret unless they are just like completely outspoken about it. Like in this area, you're not going to have somebody who's just sort of like normally into Trump and open about it. Like, you know, you're going to have that guy who's like completely outspoken. Somebody who's just like in your face. Like in this area, it's like you either are the guy with the giant Trump flag on his truck or you just don't talk about it at all. That's pretty much what this area is like. Like you don't really have any other alternative. Um... You know, whereas I think in other parts of the country or, you know, just other areas, period, like you could just be that normal person who's like, yeah, I voted for Trump. And it's just sort of like, yeah, okay. Um, whereas here, it's like you either don't, you can't say it at all, or you have to be that person who's just like an Olympia redneck, which there's plenty of. Who's just like got the Trump flag flying from his truck. Um, it's interesting in that way. What was I talking about? Um, this happens every episode now. It's probably always happened. What was I talking about? Um, something about, uh, oh yeah, just being able to like predict, not just political beliefs, but just like someone's perspective on everything. From just their physical appearance and how there's a lot of normal people where like you really wouldn't know one way or the other where they lean. But there's certain people where you just absolutely know it. And, you know, with with progressives, like radical progressives or even people who just are on the liberal side of things, it's not even that they have it explicitly on them. Like, they're not the guy with the Confederate flag shirt. They're not the guy, you know, with the thin blue line hat. They're not somebody with, like, an obvious signifier, a sim like an actual symbol that tells you something about their beliefs. Like, these people, like, yeah, you will see people with, like, a food not bombs patch. You know, you will see things like that. 
but it's like many of these people like it's it's there's no symbol or anything telling you you can just tell anyway like even from the way they talk i mean that's the amazing thing like speaking of men in particular um like i i would often be able to tell you if a guy's a lib based on just how his voice sounds and i don't mean that in like an effeminate way it's not necessarily an effeminate it's not like a, oh because they sound like the gay i'm not even making that joke although sometimes it's a part of it it's just kind of an inflection it's it's a cadence and granted like all people sound nerdier like all men i've noticed sound way nerdier and weak voiced than ever and you know that's not just me trying to be like oh young men are pussies i'm thir- i'm an old 38 these young guys they're pussies they got high pitched voices and they sound like nerds that's basically what i'm saying but I, I, I hopefully you know it's not exactly that uh but anyway i have noticed that young guys more of a, like a nerdier cadence for sure like a, ner- a nerdier tone to their voice and it's often does have kind of like a weak inflection and i don't know i feel like it's true for all young men of all types it's it's not limited to like one type but there's a very specific style of it and if i hear it i go oh, lib and not in a like i hate you way like I certain you know I have lib friends I obviously do most people I know most people I care about are on the progressive side of things to some degree uh, I mean I've stopped spending time with the ones who are way too far out there which is actually not that far out there now as far as like you know what's acceptable and mainstream now but uh, most people I know, you know, are on that side of things. And uh, what was I going to say? Um, you know, so like if I if I pick up on that vibe from somebody, it's not an indictment of them. It's not a condemnation of them. It's not like, oh, I, I hate this person now. Hate you. Not going to give you a chance. Like, that's not my reaction at all. Um, and as I've said before, I mean, there's there's another side to this that I just avoid like the plague, which is, you know, I was talking to a friend about this last night. I know I've mentioned it on here, but like when when basically like the baby boomers latch on to like a right wing joke, like the one that the first like during this like last like 10, 12 years of politics. I think one of the first things to really take hold, like, like as progressivism started to like become even more audacious in the 2010s, and then this reaction to that got even more intense too, um, we started to see like this new way of like mockery emerge for one. Like, I don't remember... Like, like talking about like the way that um, like people who are right leaning, or even if they're not right wing, you know, a lot of the people who obviously who have rejected 
this last wave of progressivism like obviously not all of them are right wing by any means but still like it automatically makes you right wing it automatically like shoves people to the right so that's basically what i'm saying um and uh but like because of that this whole new way of communicating about politics and social issues developed and you know the first one of these that i really remember and what i mean by that is like this sort of this this different form of mockery yeah like mockery has always been about a part of politics and social issues but there became there became like these new mocking jokes and the first one that i really remember taking hold in this current era in the early 2010s was uh, the safe space thing. Like once people got wind that, you know, college campuses have safe spaces and, you know, people started to say like, this is a safe space. Oh, I'm holding, I'm holding a concert at um, blah, 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 and, and blah, I was playing blah, blah. <laughs> Um, it, this is going to be a safe space. You know, people started doing that and like it was mocked for obvious reasons, like just the the tone of it all. Because, you know, because it was said with a tone. Like I, I heard uh, plenty of people say that kind of stuff out loud and I saw it in writing, of course. I saw what everybody else was seeing and probably more based on where I live and who I know. But it was always like given with this sort of like, this is a safe space. This is a safe space. It was never like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting together a concert on Sunday and, you know, it's going to be a safe space and uh, it's going to be a safe space. Like, nobody says it with that tone because it sounds ridiculous. Like, the only way you can say that is in this, you know, sanctimonious tone. So the idea of just being like, oh, yeah, dude, did you come to the fucking party on Saturday, dude? We're having a party and... Uh, uh, there's going to be a keg and, you know, it's going to be a safe space, you know. Nobody talks that way about it. Like, it sounds funny to say it that way because nobody gave it that tone. It was always done in this very, like, stiff way. Stiff way, man. Um, and, and so, like, naturally, like, like, the reaction to that, which wasn't just from the right wing, it was from liberals as well, obviously... You know, it was, it made a mockery of that, you know, like, oh, do you need a safe space? And I guess that was kind of funny for a minute. I think because all that stuff was so fresh, like people were just starting to figure out what had been going on on college campuses. And so, it, you know, it, the reaction was fresh, I guess. The reaction was fresh. The reaction was fresh, as they say. <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so like it, people were just kind of getting wind and reacting to that, and that made it kind of fresh. And I guess it might have been kind of funny to be like, you need a safe space or something? Oh, this, this, this is going to be a safe space. You know, I guess that sort of mockery like had its its, its moment. But that was like, like the first thing that kind of mainstream Republicans latched onto in response to progressivism as well. And, and wouldn't let go of it. You know, and even like the Ben Shapiro type, you know, like, oh, do you need a safe space? Facts don't care about your feelings. Oh, do you, 
are we going to talk about your feelings? Oh, you're from the generation that uh, got participation trophies. That was that predated that actually. That was kind of like a proto call. You know, that was kind of like a proto what they call a proto counter counter signal. But it wasn't the difference with like the the making fun of participation trophies thing. The difference with that is it wasn't really explicitly political when people first started saying that. When like 50 year old dads started to like mock participation trophies and be like, you know what's wrong with your generation is you, you guys all got participation trophies just for showing up. You know, when they started to say that, like, yeah, there might have been like a little like element of like politics to it but it wasn't really framed that way it was just kind of a general reaction to the fact that kids are coddled more today and made to feel special which you know you can politicize that like there is a political element to that for sure especially it's more obvious now like there's no question you can politicize that point being people weren't really doing that when they pointed out participation trophies it was just kind of a general, like, you kids are soft and you care, talk too much about your feelings and, like, you get participation trophies when you didn't win nothing. You know, that was the, just just kind of a... But it was a kind of a precursor to, like, making fun of safe spaces. But by the time safe spaces became the punchline, you know, of the center and right and whoever else, you know, didn't like it, you know, by that time, though, it was very political. It was very much a response to, you know, explicit progressive politics, and it only escalated from there. But, you know, what got me going on all this is just, though, that, like, there's still people today, like, there's still, like, baby boomers who will be like, oh, these safe spaces. And I experienced a little bit of that at work, where, like, I've had a couple customers, not a ton. Like, I, I work in Lacey. It's a town... It's another city next door to Olympia, but it's all—it's all basically the same place, but it is a separate city technically. Um, but it has a lot more like military families, more rednecks, more white trash. It, it also has way more minorities, of course, than Olympia, um, but it does have more of kind of like a trashy element. And so, like, or and just old people, old school, old people. And you know, I've had a couple customers before be like, "Oh, where's your bathroom?" And then they'll stop and like they have this joke pre-prepared and they're like, it's not one of those gender neutral bathrooms or anything, is it? And, you know, honestly, I'm with them on that for the most part. You know, I, it's not something I, I've invested myself in. Like the bathroom debate isn't something I've invested myself in. Um, but it is something that like, yeah, like I think men and women need their own fucking bathrooms. You know, if a woman wants to use the men's restroom, I don't see why any woman in the world would ever want to do that. Women complain about the state of their restrooms. They have no idea how filthy and disgusting men's restrooms are. I mean, I see that at work because since I have to, I have to go into both the men's and women's restrooms because I'm the manager. Like, there was like, like while we were doing the closeout. You know, I had, like, women tell me, like, oh, the women's bath... Because, like, at that point, people weren't really keeping up on cleaning the bathroom. And we had just all kinds of disgusting customers coming in. People, like, looking for that 90% off deal. Um, 
And so the bathroom just got disgusting. But I'd have women like be like, oh, the, the, the women's bathroom is really gross. And I went in there and it was like, yeah, it was worse than it could be, than it should be. But like the men's room at that point was just a monster. It was just monstrously bad. And far fewer men use the, the men's room. Like, far more women use public restrooms than men do. And so, like, the women's uh, restroom was used way more than the men's, but the men still managed to just be just absolutely filthy and disgusting. Way, way worse. To the point where, like, it, there was just this smell. Like, what one person said, it smelled almost like, uh, you know, like the shoreline or something. It, it, it had this, like... And you know that there's no shoreline nearby. You know that's just like the filth. The amount of like bodily fluids that have splashed and just gone through here. Like you know that's what's causing the smell. And it's not a shoreline. That's for fucking sure. So anyway, like I, I never really invested that much in like the bathroom debate. But when those old people are like, this is not a gender neutral bathroom or nothing, is it? You know, like I, you know, I'm with you on that stuff for the most part. Um, but uh, it's such a stupid fucking joke. It's just you're not saying anything fresh. You know, and and you're like you have that ready to go. You have that like spring loaded. You want to inject a little politics. So that's like working retail. Like it's something I've realized, and I don't always mind this. But you do have those occasional old people who, like, whatever they just saw on TV or whatever they just, like, listened to on the internet, whatever video they just watched, like, they want to go to the store and immediately talk to you about that. Like, they immediately want to just talk to you about, like, like, on the 4th of July, like, this dude came in, he was like a, like a 60-year-old you know, like old Mexican Republican, but very slick. Like you'd think he was Cuban. He might have, maybe he was Cuban, but like Hawaiian shirt. It was it was during the summer, yeah, Fourth of July, obviously. And uh, Hawaiian shirt, like shorts, like unbuttoned shirt, like gelled up hair and sunglasses, gray hair. And he came in, and he was a very funny, like friendly guy, like very slick. And I was just talking to him because he was fun to talk to. But then he's like, you know what? I heard on the radio this morning that uh, only 40% of Americans are patriotic today. And he's like, and you know what? And, like the, and then he just like launched into it. And he's just like, and you know what? Like, uh, you know, the Chinese government you know, like has so much control over us, so, you know? And, and he was just like citing all this stuff. And like, honestly, like the opinion is fine with me. But it's just funny that, like, people just want to launch into that with what's essentially a stranger. Like, just some guy who works at a store who you don't know. And so when it comes, like, spring-loaded or when it's like, oh, this isn't a gender-neutral bathroom, is it? And I'll see it, too, like, when, um, you know, anytime, like, like there's a, uh, like, an opportunity to, like, bring up the trans stuff, that's big with people, too. Um... Like, any times, like, the idea of being, like, male or female comes up, like, there are those customers who are like, well, you know, today, like, uh, you know, someone might uh, say that I'm this, or, you know, people people 
are calling themselves everything today, aren't they? You know, people like love to jump into that. And there's a lot of mockery of it. And uh, like I said, like I, you know, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Uh, however, uh, it's also just like, I'm also of the opinion that like you don't talk about that stuff. Yeah, it's going to come up. But in general, like I wouldn't spring that on a stranger, like whether they agreed or disagreed with me. You know, I just wouldn't throw that on them. Like, oh, hey, let's talk about this hotbed issue. Let's talk about this hot topic. This hot incendiary burning topic. Let's see if you agree with me. But that seems like a, more of a generational thing too, because like I said, like the main people who who do that in my experience are old, old. They are old. You're old. They they are older people. Um, whereas like from progressives, it's all ages. And it's it's actually like with uh, with like reactionary types, I guess you would call them. Like, when they say that, when they bring up, when they make a joke about whatever the latest progressive thing is, like, when they make a joke of that or a mockery or they just want to talk about that, it does feel more like they know it's potentially controversial. And they know that they're kind of provoking something. Like, even if you agree, end up agreeing with them, like, you can tell the way they bring it up. Like, they know that it's... It's unnatural feeling, and you and you know they're kind of like inserting it in there very deliberately and knowingly. Like they know that this could, you know, kind of spark something. Spark something. Whereas like, having spent a lot of time with progressives in my adult life, especially in like the post-2012 era when this stuff really started to become uh, much more apparent, they don't even like realize that they're doing that. Like they, it's just so ingrained in them. Like they'll say something that would be very controversial to somebody who dis, who doesn't see things that way. But like they haven't even really considered that. Like if they're spending time with you, if you're like in their social circle, like they haven't even considered that you might disagree. And you know, and it's in that way those subjects are so ingrained in their conversation. Like when I was hanging out with a lot of libs, like they will sit down next to you at the bar and just like launch into something about like trans persecution. And they're not, they haven't even considered that like you might not have the same take. It's just kind of accepted that, you know, you do. Um, like, whereas I, I do think that, you know, and, and, you know, it's probably true in different parts of the country, you know, it's probably uh, true in different parts of the country, like, where everybody's Republican, like, people probably talk to you that way there, too. But I'm just, I'm talking about my experience. And my experience in this part of the country, and that goes for California, it goes for the whole West Coast. And I see it elsewhere, too. Like, I, I observe it elsewhere, but as far as my own personal experience goes, it's that, like, liberals will tend to, like, bring up things, politics, all the time, for one, uh, race issues, you know, just all of their 
typical issues, like they will just kind of introduce them casually in conversation because that's what they talk about. And it's it's not even like in their mind at all that you might not agree. Or you might not be in favor of it. Like you, it might not even be that you don't disagree. Or it might not even be that you disagree, but it just might not be something you care at all about. And with those people, not caring about something to them is akin to disagreeing with them. Like there's no real way to not care about something that they care about without them seeing you as, as the enemy on the issue. And again, that's probably a very human thing that you're going to find in any group. Like in a different social environment where people have different beliefs than that. Like I said, in, in a heavily Republican area. Like I'm sure that they talk to you too and, and assume that you agree with them because that's just what everybody they know does and it's what they talk about. I don't know. I know that it tends to bother me less when it is that boomer who just kind of like makes a gender neutrality joke. Like it tends to annoy me less. I, I feel less put upon. Like even though they kind of force it into the conversation to make a point or a joke or something, um, I do find it like less off-putting overall. Whereas like when when somebody talks to you and like just assumes that you agree you know that's I'm far more uncomfortable because at that point like I'm not someone who wants to argue about that stuff you know there's almost nobody in our world today who you're going to convince otherwise and like my point of view on that is why would I want to convince somebody otherwise why do I want to go out in the world and like try to convince people to agree with me Yeah, if something's a fact or it's, um, you know, like, I, I mean, I think people should, like, outside of politics and social issues where it's very hard to say what's a fact and what's not, like, and looking at, like, a, a completely different subject, like, I mean, let's just go with the mafia stuff that I'm interested in, that I research. Like, I want somebody to acknowledge a certain fact related to that subject, because, you know, it's a fact about a historical subject. But when it comes to like, and, and you know, and not, not to say that I would really want to convince somebody of that anyway, but I think that there's something different about like wanting to make an argument for that. Like if you want to argue for a fact in a, in a subject that involves like actual hard research, that's one thing. But to try to convince somebody of your opinion or your stance or your perspective or the facts that are important to you about this issue. Because that's, you know, there's this whole debate about facts where it's like, look at the facts. And it's like, well, there's a million facts. And the way we all react to those facts, because we're going to like some of those facts and we're not going to like other facts on every single thing that we care about. We're going to like certain facts and not like certain facts. And we're going to bias ourselves towards the facts that we like. This is basic stuff. I'm not pretending this is profound. Um, but I, you know, so as a result, though, it's like we all have our facts to choose from. 
you know, we all have the facts that we like. And we might not even realize that we're gravitating toward those facts, you know, because of a bias or anything like that. But we're still, you're still going to gravitate toward them. A lot of it is subconscious. You might not even know it. But there's a part of us that does. Like, I know when my biases are, like, pointing me towards something. And even though I know that, like, sometimes even though I know I'm biased... Like, being biased doesn't mean the thing that you care about. Like it doesn't mean your stance is wrong. Being biased doesn't negate your stance. It just means you're biased. And it can make you... It can put you in denial when your stance is wrong or has a worse argument. Um, but, but being biased alone doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you have a bias. You could be right or wrong and, you know, it doesn't make a difference. Your bias doesn't make a difference as far as that goes. Your bias just impacts your ability to assess it and your ability to admit when you're wrong, basically. Um, so it's, it's it, you know, you're always going to be doing that. You're always going to be like, I like these facts. I don't like these facts. And all those facts make the thing what it is. Um, I don't know where I was going anymore. I don't know. Um, you know, I guess it again goes back to just like how people make you feel. Like what people talk to you about and how they talk about it is going to dictate how you feel being around them. And even if you agree with somebody, the way they talk is, you know, is going to impact whether you want to be around them or not. Um, but it has been interesting to watch kind of the, well, I guess what I, what I was saying, you know, what got me going on the whole facts thing was just that, you know, wanting to convince somebody is just not attractive to me. Like, yeah, I'll try to win an argument if I truly believe in something. I'll try to win an argument, you know, maybe sometimes for pride or something. But I try not to have many arguments anymore. And especially about these things. Like the idea of debating somebody. And we can see that debate does nothing and means nothing, you know, because that was sort of the disaffected moderate leftist point of view and still is, but really was a few years ago. Like in the second half of the 2010s, when like some of these disgruntled academics, like academics who had been like wrongly pushed out of their schools, you know, that that whole phenomenon was going on. And, uh, you know, we saw that like a lot of those types, like the sort of academic, like, I'm going to explain the history of wokeness. I'm going to tell you about the history of postmodernism in the Frankfurt schools. Um, like those people... Like, their big thing was, like, if we can just debate this like civilized adults, it'll put this all to rest. If we can just have a, a logical, unemotionable, reasonable debate, it's going to solve all our problems. And it, one, it's like, it's not about debating facts anymore. It hasn't been about that for a very, it's never been about that. 
You know, because like the time when you could have like debated this stuff, nobody realized it was going on and nobody cared about it. Like the period of time where like some guy who's like, you know, analyzed the origins of modern political correctness, what people call wokeness and all of that. Wokeness. Um, like the time to debate that was a long time ago. And at that point, there was no audience for the debate. And then now it's like nobody's going to debate you anyway. It's not about debate. It's just pure passive aggression and full-on aggression. When people are resting from their aggression, they're still pushing the passive aggression. It's just non-stop. It's purely emotional. There's no way to counter it, you know, with some sort of like historical analysis of where it came from and, you know, it, it, academicizing it acad academicizing it um you know that really has no purpose anymore like the only purpose that has is it's sort of like a coping mechanism for people who agree like there's a certain sort of person who maybe they're a moderate maybe they were a lifelong liberal who now like either got cast aside or ostracized or deliberately walked away from progressivism from liberals you know like that sort of person like they find relief when they listen to like brett weinstein and his wife talk about wokeness or something you know like like they when they you know find that stuff it's sort of like a relief it's it's much more like a bunch of like former Jehovah's Witnesses who left the, the order getting together and basically having a group therapy session. Um, but it really has, has and, and so it, it has its place in that way. You know, that certainly has its place. Um, and there is a certain sort of person who will check that stuff out and I guess like learn something or feel it'll confirm how they're feeling it'll give it it'll give what they're feeling an intellectual component and something to think about but uh that's not you know really a weapon in the battle at this point like i don't it, it hasn't been when that might have been a potent weapon was when people didn't even realize a battle was going on And so, one, like, the idea is just total non-participation when possible. Like, I mean, it can be hard, but just total non-participation in that process. Like, don't get sucked into, like, being a, too opposed to it, where you're now, like, debating it and thinking about it all the time. It becomes a focus in your life. Because you can see all these podcasts and stuff where that's their entire thing. Like, you see people, like you know, Tim Poole and people. And like, I think those people have a place, but their entire thing is just like talking about whatever the latest little, uh, everything. I mean, they're good. They talk about everything. It's like just every little thing in the culture war, every little political twist and turn 
every little example of like wokeness gone awry it's like their whole thing is to talk about that all the time and uh you know maybe maybe it's good that those people exist because like that means like you don't have to do it but for me personally like i could never be that person and yeah it does come up it's hard to avoid but my take is just like total non-participation in it because when you are that person like trying to argue and fight it you are playing the game and you're not going to get any real result like at most you're going to give certain people relief who already agree with you especially now like in 2023 2024 like i don't know if there's anybody out there who is on the fence and just listening to each side going like mm, yeah that one makes sense oh you know that makes sense like now with Trumpsfeld, you know winning the iowa caucus and who knows what the fuck's going to happen come election time um but it's like the people who support Trumpsfeld or aren't bothered by him even nothing else is going to happen that's going to make them change their mind like literally nothing could happen at this point that would change their views on him or if they're people who are just kind of indifferent or passive about Trumpsfeld like nothing is going to make them feel any more emotional no, literally nothing you know every so much has happened like so many you know from the most benign to intense situations have have you know happened involving Trumpsfeld like the most sensational and if someone doesn't feel something now like they're never going to feel something or if they still support him now, like nothing is going to convince them otherwise. And if they hate him, nothing is going to convince him otherwise. Like someone who hates Trumpsfeld, like for one, like I would say that was true going back from the time he got elected. Like the people who hated him, nothing is ever going to change their minds. Like literally nothing could ever happen that would make them stop hysterically hating him. And then now, like that's just completely solidified. But the same is true for people who like him or just sort of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And, you know, some people will talk about, um, I think kind of a safe way that people signal they like Trump is when like, they talk about, oh, you know, he's kind of funny. When they find any humor in him at all. I mean, to be fair, my mom hated Trump, but she found the humor in him. Like, I, she and I would talk about things he would say and stuff, and she would cackle. Whereas I know many people who, they can't find anything funny. And, you know, people, a lot of people have talked about this. A lot of people have experienced this. Like, I know the comedian Shane Gillis has a, a bit about it. A bit about it. Um, pretty much exactly what I just said, but that's a, that's a true experience. Where there's a lot of people who it's like they hate him, but they they can't even admit to finding any kind of absurd humor in him. It is dead serious to them. 
not true for everybody. Like I said, my mom, she would cackle at things he would say, but she still hated him. Um, and then, uh, and what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, what, what I was saying is, though, is like, there's a lot of people out there who they kind of signal they like him by being like, oh, well, he, he was fucking funny. And it doesn't necessarily mean they voted for him, they're diehard supporters, but it is kind of like a, a slightly safer way of like letting people know, like, I, I'm not some crazy, I don't have Trump derangement. So on January 6th, someone I work with was like, someone mentioned that it was January 666. January 666. It was January 666, and like, it came up, and like, one of my coworkers was like, uh, honestly, I found it kind of funny. And that's, that's a dangerous thing to say. Like there are a lot of, like if you work in certain offices around here, some of the offices I've worked in, if you were to say like, honestly, I found January 666 kind of funny. Even if you said it in kind of a hushed tone like that, there's people who would jump on you. You found it funny? Oh my God. There's people who would completely condemn you for that. So I think when this coworker said that, it was like, oh, you know, honestly, I found January 6th kind of funny. It was kind of a way of like testing the water. It was like, um, without being like I love Trumpsfeld or I he's all right like there was no there was no like confession of like whether they voted for Trumpsfeld anything like that but even just saying you found January 6th funny or or anything it, basically saying anything about January 666 that isn't the party line is a potentially dangerous thing to say around people it's socially dangerous so the fact that somebody said that I was like oh yeah you're not crazy about that stuff. You're not crazy about that stuff. Kind of similar to when people like laugh when they're like, oh man, when he said that, it was fucking funny. Like, it goes back to like one of the best things he ever said, which is like before he was elected and they asked him about John McCain and he said he didn't, didn't like John McCain and they were like, yeah, but he was a war hero and Trump's like, he was not a war hero. He got captured. I like the ones who don't get captured. Like, that's fucking hilarious. And and would, for anybody else would be total political suicide. You know, any politician in history, it would be political suicide to say, like, John McCain's not a hero. You know, he got captured by the enemy. Like he's not a hero, for, you know, he's a POW. Like calling like a, the most famous Vietnam era POW who became like a lifelong politician, like one of the biggest names in politics, like insulting his, and he, and he was in a, he was a POW for years, years. His return was a big deal. Like, uh, it's it, it's completely unheard of. Like, the idea of a, a politician or an aspiring politician 
saying a POW is not a, he- a war hero and that you prefer the ones who don't get captured. <laughs> like, and to say it just offhand like that, you know, to have that like blown up around the country on the news, everybody was talking about it. And yet, and, and, and to have his voter base too be the people who care about that. Like the Republican voter base are the people who are like, you know, military service is holy. You know, you never say anything bad about the military. You would never think about insulting a POW for being a POW. (laughs) I like winners. He said something like, he's like, I like winners. You know, I like the ones who don't get captured. Like, that's so fucking funny. But I think that's part of why it didn't bother people that much. Like, the same people who just loved the military still voted for him. And, like, many of them to this day fucking love him. And it's it's not, I don't think, out of cognitive dissonance where they, they block that out. Like, I think part of it is just that they're inter- so entertained by it. Because that actually, you know, I'm not the first person to point this out, but, you know, like, a, like some of the things Trumpfeld says are like a stand-up comedian. Like, he does kind of come across like an old-timey, like, I'm talking like decades ago. Like, he does come across like kind of like an like a, like a outdated old-school comedian, and he has that sort of delivery and everything. He has that sort of timing. And, uh, like, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, but it's like, it's not far off. I hate to say this, but it's like it's it isn't that far off from like take my wife, please. Like between the accent and just his tone and everything, it's like it does come across like this old timey comedian. But like that that thing about like POWs, like I like the ones who don't get captured. Like that's like something an edgy comedian would say. Like, it's something, like, a young, edgy comedian might say. Like, get on stage and, like, make a crack about how POWs aren't war heroes because they get captured. And, like, nail it with that timing. Like, that is, that's like an edgy joke. And honestly, I, I think that's pretty much how he meant it. You know, it's like, like, like when Trumpschild said, like, I like the ones that don't get captured. Like, I don't think that's something that he had, like, put a bunch of thought into before. I don't think that he had seen, like, POWs mentioned on the news and been like, look at these losers. They got captured. I don't, I, I'm guessing that has, that's something that had never even crossed his mind before. But, like, the point he was trying to make was to insult John McCain. The whole point of that, that his responses to that in that interview was he was trying to insult John McCain. And so, like, what's a, a really edgy way to, way to insult McCain? Like, say he wasn't a war hero. Make fun of the fact that he got captured by, by the Viet Cong or whoever. I think it was Vietnam. I think the Vietnam, a Korean War. I don't, I don't even know what he was a POW in. But, like, for a guy who's just riffing, like, at that point, Trumpsfeld is just riffing on, like, the idea of insulting... McCain like that's the whole point to what he's doing and so he just improvises this joke because like he and you can tell he knows it's a joke like 
like I said, this isn't something he's meditated on. This isn't some like hard opinion. Maybe I'm wrong and people will find like a, you know, can find like a thousand examples where he trashed POWs going back to the 80s or something. But as far as I could tell, like he was just improvising and riffing. Like here's, here's something funny I can say that insults McCain. But anyway, uh, yeah, he, he, he does come across like he, he, he does come across like an old timey stand up comedian. And so when he says things that might even otherwise offend his voter base, I think part of it is that it's just a show to them. And even though they like some of his policies and goals and things, I think, like, ultimately, they just enjoy the show. And, uh, you know, like I've said recently, even, like, you know, I find Biden very entertaining, too. I love Joe Obama and Biden. Like, I'd much rather have him be president than a lot of other people. Like, just purely on entertainment level. You know, like, having, like, this really old man. Like, I was, the other night, I was just, at the end of the night, I just, for some reason, was watching clips. I never do this. But I was watching, like, clips of Trumpsfeld and clips of Biden. And I, I was just laughing hysterically to both of them. I spent an hour doing this. And I, I was watching like some recent footage of Biden because I don't watch these speeches they make or anything like when they make them. And I was watching like a fairly recent speech and I was just like, he looks so fucking bad. Like he literally looks like his skin is like discolored. You know, he's getting that like old people discoloration. Like he's so pale. He's so weak looking. Like this is like some people think that's sad. They're like, oh, it's so sad that he's old. He's so old and he's propped up there. I think it's really funny. Like, he chose to do that. Like, everybody in his life, like, wants this for him. So I don't feel bad. Oh, I feel so bad that he's too old to be president. And he, he's, he's just got to go out there like a skeleton. Like, that's what he wants. That's what his family wants. That's what everybody who, who supports him wants. Like, what's there to feel bad about? Like, I just think it's funny to watch this bumbling old man. Like, watching it the other night, I was, like, really distinctly aware. Because, like, my whole life, obviously, like, I look at presidents, whoever the current president is, and I'm like, yeah, he's an old guy. From the time, like, as long as I can remember. Like, Bill Clinton being the first president I really remember. I was always like, yeah, he's old. Not ancient, but it's like he has gray hair. He's an older guy. He's, like, president age. Which is like somewhere in the his fifties or sixties or something. Same with Bushel. Same with George W. Bushel. You know, it was yeah, he's old. Again, not ancient. Still like a healthy man. But like my perception is like yeah, he's old. Obama, whatever the fuck his name is, o Obama. Joe Obama is Biden, but uh, Obama. Obama you know Obama 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 was uh, obviously a lot younger looking 
Um, but still, like, and same with like most of the people running. Like, just my my idea of a presidential candidate or a president was just like they're going to be old. But like seeing Ben Biden now, I'm like the other night it was just it, I hadn't seen him for a while. I hadn't like seen an image of him, a video of him, and it just hit me really hard. I was like, oh wow, like. This is amazing. Like, when have we ever seen somebody this old just like moping around on stage? Like, uh, never. Like, this is a phenomenon unto itself. Just the idea of like an ancient president, like an eighty-year-old. Um, and he and he's funny. Not when he's trying to be funny necessarily. Although sometimes I like that because he's he's got that like cheesy he, he doesn't quite have like the old timey comedian thing going on, but he he is a relic. Like you won't see many politicians ever again who have his sort of mannerisms and gestures and 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 you know inflection. There's that word again. You know you won't see many if any of those ever again. Like, he's a relic of a, a certain style. And, uh, like, that's, that's, that's funny to me. It's kind of refreshing in a way. Because Obama was always the sci-fi movie president or something. Like, the way he talked, like... I mean, what Obama was is, is like, when you watch, like, a sci-fi movie and they have a black president... Like, Obama was that. You know, Obama just was that. The way he talked, like, his whole demeanor, the way he looked. Like, he was that black president, you know, on the TV in, the, in a sci-fi movie. But that sort of, that style that, that Biden has is a relic that, like, we won't see again like obviously Trump's felt as none of that like he has a whole different old timey style like I said he's more like like an old comedian like from the from the, the way he talks his delivery his pacing his actual voice whereas like Biden's like from the theater of politics like his smile and the fact that he's still trying to do it, like, what he reminds me of is, like, a malfunctioning robot that was, like, designed for a specific purpose. And you can still see that it's trying to carry out that purpose, but it's it's not working. But that just makes it better to me. Like, it's funny to me that there are people out there who, like, when they see like Biden stumble over his words, they're like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe this is our president. Oh my God. Like people who get upset about him. Um, like it's like, that's your reaction? Like, yeah, all this shit represents like a horrible decline. <laughs> you know, I mean, I certainly see the, the dark side of all this, but it's like, can you just enjoy it too? Like when he tells a story and it gets like totally butchered and you don't know what the point of the story is and he's still kind of, like I said, he's, he's got that malfunctioning robot thing going on where like you can tell he was programmed to do this a certain way. 
and at one point it kind of worked but now you're just seeing like him this robot who's malfunctioning but still trying to do it but you don't know what exactly it's trying to do you don't know exactly what the point is and, and I find enjoyment in that it just kind of adds to the chaos it, it adds to the entertainment you know, and I, I had an old friend who, uh, when uh, Biden got elected, was like, God, thank God there's going to be dignity in the White House again. I heard that a lot from just all over. Like, oh, my God, thank God there's going to be dignity again, dignity in the White House. And, and I, you know, I have a lot of respect for this old friend, tons, endless respect. But it just, it, it was funny to me that he said that, like, oh, there's going to be dignity. It's like, since when have you cared about dignity in the White House? Like, this is someone I've known forever who has always been rebellious. You know, they never, they hated every president. <laughs> this friend of mine, like, hated every politician, every president his entire life. But then he got, like, hit with the Trumpsfeld bug and hated him. Really passionately hated him. And now, and now he's all of a sudden talking about, like, dignity in the White House. Biden's bringing dignity in the White House back. Like, since when, since, did you, I've known you forever, and you think there was dignity in the White House before? You admired these men before? Like, you hated all these guys. So it's just funny to me, like, like people who otherwise, like, just hate the whole game. Like, Trumpsfeld fucked them up so bad that now they're, like, excited about dignity in the White House. Dignity in the White House. Um, again, like, I respect this person's opinion, but, you know, um, I respect this person, but it just, it, it was funny to me at the time, because I'm just like, since when have you cared about dignity in the White House? Since when is that important to you? And what is dignity? I mean, the most famous example in recent years i guess whenever trumpsville was still president was just like when that isis leader got killed and trump was gave a speech announcing it and he's like he died like a dog you know that's just unheard of kind of like the pow thing like but in this case there's no downside to it like i remember thinking that like people were like oh can you believe that he announced like the that the u.s military killed this isis leader that way like this guy's an ISIS leader. Like he's not somebody that we we have to even pretend to respect. Like yeah, there are people that the US military might kill and publicly we have to pretend that we respect them or we do respect them. But this guy's an ISIS leader. Like it's a group that has it's completely acceptable in American society to say whatever you want about ISIS. Like progressives are going to be upset if you lean too hard into the Muslim aspect, but they're not going to be upset if you hate ISIS. Like it's completely acceptable in just about every social circle in America. It's completely acceptable on every public platform to hate ISIS. So it's like this isn't... When we kill an ISIS leader, it's not something that we have to tread upon carefully. So the fact that the president came out and was like, he died like a dog, is, is fucking amazing. And there's no downside to it. And it's, you know, it's just funny. 
Like that's not going to impact like our foreign relations. Like, yeah, if we if we killed Putin, we killed Putin. And the president came out and was like, he died like a dog. You know, there might be some blowback. Like that's going to that's going to potentially impact our relation to Eastern Europe, to, you know, Russia after the conflict's over. Like that that has deeper implications. But when it's ISIS, like a group that like will never have any diplomacy with, like there's no diplomacy concerns with ISIS. It's purely a terrorist organization to us and most of the world. So you can actually say whatever you want about that guy. You can humiliate his death however you want. Like, I don't recommend doing it. Like, I personally don't believe in making a mockery of people's deaths, no matter how I felt about them. I just don't believe in doing that. You can make light of them. But I never gloat about a death. Just like I, I never really, uh, I don't mourn unnecessarily either. Like when a celebrity I like dies, very rarely will I be like, oh my God, this is the worst day ever. Alan Rickman died. Oh fuck, the world fucking sucks. Alan Rickman died, dude. Like I, I was, you know, I liked Alan Rickman. I liked Alan Rickman. I liked Alan Rickman. The Sheriff and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves like I, I watched that movie over and over and over again when I was five years old, four years old. It's my favorite movie. Like his performance in that, like left a mark. Like that, that like set the standard for villains. He did some other things too, but like I, you know, when Alan Rickman died, like I had like a moment of quiet respect where it's like, yeah, that, that guy actually played a big role in my childhood because of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He was great at what he did. He really was. But it wasn't like, I, I'm not going to mourn it unnecessarily. Like, whereas you'll see some people and like every single day, because every single day, some celebrity's dead. You know, somebody, if you really look like there's some celebrity you cared about dies every week. And there's some people who just like live in that cycle where it's like, oh my God, Glenn Close died today. Oh my God. I don't know if she's dead or not. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think she's dead. <laughs> oh my God. Glenn Close died today, dude. I need uh, Dude, I don't want to go anywhere, dude. I just... Uh, Glenn Close died. Yeah. It's like there's people who... They really like... It's, it's often like online, like in a post or something. But really, like they... They mourn. And it's okay to mourn. It's okay to show respect. But it's just like... Some people are in this cycle where, like, they really... Because those same people... What's interesting, though, is my point, is that, like, the, that same... Those same people, like, that same part of you that does that is the same part of you that then gloats when, like, your enemy dies. Uh, like, the person who's like, Oh, my God, Glenn Close died. Like, that same person the next day is like, Rush Limbaugh died, that fat piece of pill-taking shit. Fuck that motherfucker. He's burning in hell. Like, they'll get vicious if it's someone they don't like. That fat motherfucking pill-taking Republican asshole. Asshole. I hope he likes the flames of hell. 
because they're gonna roast his fat ass. Like they'll they'll turn into this beast. So uh, you know, I think it's a kind of the same part of people. So I try not to like mourn unnecessarily, and I I really try not to gloat over a death of somebody for anybody. Like there might be somebody that I do not like, and I find out they died, and I'm kind of like, eh. You know, these things happen. But I, I, I try not to celebrate it. I don't think that's a good thing to do. Um, but you know what? If somebody else does it and it makes me laugh, that's another story. You know, if, if the President of the United States, when we kill an ISIS leader, says he died like a dog and he was a coward, like, that's good entertainment. Like, it doesn't change the fact that we killed somebody. Like, it doesn't change what happened. That's like the power, that's the spell of words. Like, when a president comes out to announce that, like, an enemy terrorist leader has been killed, which they've done many times over the years, but when that happens, like, what's being communicated is the same no matter what. Like, what happened is the same. What happened is what happened, but what's being communicated like by Obama versus Trump versus Clinton or whoever you know has made these speeches versus Bushel. Uh, what's being communicated is the exact same. Hey, I'm, I'm the president and I'm letting the American people know that we killed one of the bad guys, one of the big bad guys, and we're proud of this. This guy deserved to die. Our, our, our military squad who did it, you know, showed expert precision and were really good at killing this guy. Like, that's all, all of them are saying that. Um, so whether, whether it's said with this mockery or not, it doesn't really change anything. But people, they react to it. That's the power of words. That's the spell of language is that the way you phrase something or the way you state it is going to completely change something that is objectively identical. Like the situation and the information being com communicated is objectively identical regardless of how it's said. But people have this idea, like it's not a dignified way to say it. But, you know, it's, a little, it's different. It's, a, it's something different. Haven't we all been waiting for something different? You know, it's kind of like when the Seahawks were, you know, on the way to the Super Bowl a decade ago. And, you know, Richard Sherman, like in, after the NFC conference game, like Richard Sherman was interviewed right after the game. And he was just like screaming at, about Michael Crabtree. He's like, I don't even remember what he said. It's famous. But it was just like, that's what happens when you talk. That's what happens when you talk about me. I'll put you in your place real quick. I don't remember what exactly he said, but it was, all the Seahawks fans loved it. But everybody else was like, that was so classless. That was so classless. You know, you win the NFC conference game and then you like scream about another player and you, you know, show that much emotion. You know, and it's it's like, no, that was great. Like, everyone always hates, like, the standard 
scripted responses after games. Like usually they interview a player and the player's like, it was a tough game. The other team played well. You know, we were struggling in the second half. We were struggling in the first quarter, but, you know, we got it together and, you know, they came back, but we managed to hold them down. And I think we all played well. You know, thank, I, I just want to thank God. You know, the, the just scripted football player response after games, like, you know, that's, that's barely a parody that I just gave. You know, it's barely a parody of what they say. And everyone hates it. They're like, oh, yeah, they never say anything. Oh, you know, it was a, it was a good game. Like, you know, we, uh, you know, they, they were really trying to win, but we wanted it more. And, you know, now we can just uh, plan, you know, now it's time to look forward to next week. Now we can focus on next week. So to have like a player just scream, just this like primal anger, just Richard Sherman just screaming. And screaming about Michael Crabtree. It's like it was the talk of the town for forever. Like that's, people will never forget that moment. And so it's kind of the same thing. It's like anytime someone goes off script, like there's a certain person will be like, oh, that's not dignified. And yeah, there's a time to be on script. Like saying please and thank you. Like when someone's rude, it's not like I respond to that by being like, he's just going off script. It's okay. Although being rude can be funny, but but there's certain situations where like, we we get sick of the scripted we get sick of the script. Like we're so sick of the politician's script. We're so sick of the professional athlete's script. When they go off script, especially when it's totally harmless, when it doesn't change the situation at all, what's the problem? We should appreciate it. Don't you ever talk about me? That's what Sherman said. He was like, don't you ever talk about me? And then the reporter was like, who, who, who was talking about you? He said, Crabtree. Crabtree. Don't you ever talk about me. Um, like, don't you ever open your mouth or I'll shut it real quick. I think that's what he said, what Sherman said. He died like a dog. Like, going off script in that way doesn't change anything. So what's the problem? And uh, we're at a, a time where, like, the script has gotten so, so awful and so boring. And I don't know where, like, dignity comes in. Like, dignity is how you live your life. Dignity isn't a performance. You know, dignity truly is just how you live your life. Like, you either live a dignified life or you don't. It's not how you perform And if you're going to be performing, you might as well make it interesting, right? Um, it's been a long journey, and I don't, I don't even know what I started out talking about here. I don't even know what I was originally talking about. I know I talked about, like, the uniforms. I know I talked about, like, being able to tell what somebody believes in. How some people, you can't tell what they believe. And I think that's more interesting. Like when you see a certain type of person and you're like, I actually have no idea what that person thinks about anything. 
and I and I they're not going to bring it up. I might never know. I might never know what that person thinks about everything. But there's other people where you just from how they look and present themselves, you know. And it's weird that you know that. It's weird that there's certain people you can encounter and your thought is I can make a, a pretty accurate guess. I can make a pretty accurate guess as to what that person believes about a huge number of issues. That person, I, I know how that person's programmed. I know what kind of code is, I know what kind of code is running through them. But how there's a bunch of other people where it's just like, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But we're at a time where like, yeah, like all debate is gone, all all convincing is gone. Who are you going to convince now? Who are you going to convince of anything right now? Like can I can't even imagine convincing somebody. And that's not an attractive thing for me either. Like I I gain no satisfaction or pleasure or anything remotely like that from convincing somebody to agree with me. Um And I, uh, I don't resent somebody for not agreeing with me. Maybe if it's, it, I might care about the style in which they disagree with me, but I don't care about disagreement at all. I have a very easy time with disagreement. I don't even feel the need to like have a, a whole like, let's agree to disagree thing. Like that's too much of a conclusion for me even. Well, let's just agree to disagree. Not a bad sentiment, but like I don't even need to go there with it. Like I, I don't, you don't even need to get to that point. Oh, we don't agree. This probably shouldn't even even come up anyway. Chances are that thing that you're disagreeing with somebody about, especially if it involves politics or social issues, it probably didn't even need to come up anyway. And like, want to use a jerk off for even bringing it up. But if it does come up and like you find out you don't agree with somebody, you don't even need to like try to put a cap on it with let's agree to disagree. I respect your opinion and you respect mine. Like we don't even need to go there. We can just not agree and move on. But the fact that people even need to say like let's agree to disagree, the fact that people even need to say that tells you the, the, the amount of tension it causes internally to know that somebody disagrees with you. Like, you feel like you can't live with that. So you, the only way you know to cope with disagreement, with the horrible tension that is disagreement, is to be like, well, we'll just agree to disagree. We'll sign a treaty. Treaty. Like, that's crazy into itself, that, like, we feel like we have to, like, offer this informal treaty when we disagree with somebody. But guess what? Like, disagreement is the... At the heart of war. So even though we're not going to go to war with that guy that we're arguing with or debating with, you still have this something inside of you that says, okay, we're at war and like, let's try to make peace. 
Neither one of us is going to win. Neither of us wants to beat the other, but we still got to make peace. But I, I say you don't even need to. Oh, we disagree. We don't need to make peace because we were never at war. That's how I feel about it. I don't even have any thoughts about, you know, what else is going on now. I don't, I don't, I don't care what happens politically this year. I just, um, you know, people are like, 2024 is going to get crazy. 2024 is going to be fucking crazy. I can't even believe it's 2024. I can't even believe that we're nearing the end of Jabama bin Biden's presidency. Like, I can't even believe it's, it, we've made it to this point. Can't even believe it's it's already this time. But people are they're like, oh, it's gonna get so crazy. I'll just wait. Just wait. I what's crazy? Like, I I wanted to get crazy, honestly. Like this sort of muck that we've just been, you know, slowly just working our way through and getting nowhere. Like, I don't want anything completely horrible to happen, but, like, I'd rather, like, the energy pick up in some way. So I hope something happens. You know, I hope 2024, like, like, the tone changes somewhat, and of course it will. But, you know, everyone in politics, like, thinks they're Nostradamus or trying to, that's their whole thing. That's what these pundits do. They make predictions, like, this year we're going to be seeing this. I just wait till the midterms. Wait till the Iowa caucus. You'll see. They're going to turn it. The Democrats are going to turn it up in 2024. The rhetoric is going to get so uh, out of control in 2024. I hope it does get a little out of control. Again, nothing horrible. Nothing that, that has a horrible impact on anybody, but just uh, I wouldn't mind if the energy gets a little out of control. I kind of prefer that in many ways. Because I don't care about, like, the dignity. I don't care about the dignity. I don't care about the dignity. I don't care about, you know, things staying on script. I just want it to be interesting. If it's going to exist and dominate people's lives the way it is, I just want it to be interesting. I want it to be entertaining. And I think that's what the audience expects now, too. I mean, I think that's largely what most of America wants now. I think they just want it to be entertaining. I think they want it to be thrilling. I think we've gotten used to that. I think we're looking for a thrill. We're looking for a political thrill more than we are, like, really even a political outcome. And if one side, like, completely won... And the other side was just like completely shut out forever. They wouldn't like that either. Like if Democrats won again and they everything they ever wanted to have happen happens, they're not going to like that. They're not going to enjoy that either. If Republicans win and everything a Republican could ever want happens, they're not going to like that. Republicans aren't going to like that. It's not what people want. They're looking for a thrill. They're looking for a seesaw. They're looking for drama. They're looking for melodrama. Me, I, I just hope since it's forced on me so much, I just hope it's mildly entertaining. But even more than that, like, I'd love it if it was crazy. 
the wackier it is, the crazier it is. It might not be good for our country, but I, I don't. I don't have a lot of hope for the country. So if I can be entertained, you know, especially like when you don't have a lot of hope. I still, you know, I, I still try to be a good citizen. I still try to be a good person because that's the backbone of all this. Like, yeah, the decline of your country is a scary thing. But if everybody still operates like a good person in their day-to-day -day life, it's not going to be as bad as it could be. So I just try to do that. Um, and yeah, maybe it's not the most mature outlook to be like, I, I kind of want things to get crazy. I kinda, I'm just looking for entertainment. Someone might say it's not the most mature outlook, but it seems like the best option. Can't change how I feel about that. But yeah, it's, it's amazing. Some people, it's like their whole thing is commenting on politics. Their whole thing is commenting on like every single social dilemma. And I guess it's good that some people are devoted to that on, you know, no matter what their perspective is. But I like the crow's nest. I like sitting up in a perch looking at it from afar not above it in a moral sense not above it in a superior sense but just above it from a higher vantage point where i can just kind of watch that's what i'm into i'm a voyeur political voyeurism there's a lot of it but there's also a lot of people that are political exhibitionists not just the people in politics, but a lot of citizens are political exhibitionists. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, where you can just tell with some people. Some people are just obviously political exhibitionists. So when I see them out in the world at the grocery store, I don't think of that term, but what I'm sensing is, here's a political exhibitionist. Me, I'm a political voyeur. I'm actually kind of glad you exist because this is a, just such a crazy phenomenon. I'm glad I got to see all this play out. That's what I was saying in 2022, 2021. I was like, I'm glad I'm getting to see all this play out. This is really interesting. That's what I was saying during the fervor of summer 2020. I'm like, just getting to see this play out is really fucking interesting to me. Children can run free. 